1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Translation, grow up. <laughs> Paul said, I fed you with milk. And not with solid food, for until now you are not able to receive it. Even now you're still not able. For you are still carnal. For where there is envy, strife, and division among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Listen to Paul. He said, God Almighty lives inside of you, and you're acting normal. He says, for when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted Apollos water, but it was God who gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God, I'll insert this, is everything who gives the increase. I want to preach from a series that we're starting today over the month of August. We're going to be talking about I'm not that spiritual. Let's pray, Father God, we're grateful, we're thankful. God, that you're the God that turns mourning and weeping into dancing. You turn graves into garden. You give us beauty for ashes. You're the one that turns every situation around, and we're grateful, we're thankful, we're excited to hear from you on this day. God, we're making a preemptive decision that when you speak, we will obey. Have your way in our hearts. Have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen and amen. The title of today's message is, What Does That Even Mean? What Does That Even Mean? I had an encounter uh, during this whole kind of stay-at-home lock-in order that uh, it just kind of caught me off guard. I was at one of those big box stores, you know, the Walmarts, Targets, Costco's, one of those spots. And, you know, they're the, the places where you just run in to get two things and you come out with a mortgage payment of a bill because you found there's 15,000 things that you thought you had and didn't know that you didn't have only to buy it and to go home and to find out that you did have 25 rolls of paper towels and you didn't need another 25 or whatever it may be. So I'm going through there and grabbing my stuff, trying to get out as quickly as I possibly can. And I heard an all too familiar scream. You've probably heard this in a Walmart or a Target at some point where you just hear, ah, no, I don't want to. <laughs> Y'all are laughing because you know exactly what that was. I come around the corner and somebody's child is showing out on the floor, kicking, screaming, pulling stuff off the shelves. The mom is there trying to put it back up and pull it all together. The dad is there trying to look. I'm invisible. I'm invisible. You can't see me. You can't see me. You can't see me. And here's the thing. Before I had children, I would judge people like that. Get a hold of your child. What's wrong with you? Don't you have any? They just need a whooping. You need some authority. Now that I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, I realize there is no authority. Just surrender. Give them the keys to the house. Come back when they're 18. It will <laughs> that is not a place to say amen. But I don't know what it was. I don't know if it's the stress of the season, me being exhausted or leading the church through this crisis and all that. But for some reason on this particular day, I looked at that child kicking and screaming and, and, and embarrassing their parents. And this thought crossed my mind. 
I wish I could do that. <laughs> I wish for just once I could throw myself on the ground, rip things off of the shelf, scream and shout and say, no, I don't want to do anything. You ever had this moment where you realized that you were just not as mature as you thought you were? You, you, you had that moment where you realized that, yeah, you may be 30 or 40 or 60, but secretly inside there's a four-year-old that just wants to turn up sometimes? You, you ever been in an argument with your spouse and you just wanted to go, mm. <laughs> I know you are, but what am I? You know what I mean? You ever walk by your coworker's desk and you just wanted to rearrange all their files and switch the tabs because they threw you under the bus in a meeting again? And you're like, I'm over being mature. I want to be petty just for a moment. If we were to be honest, all of us pretend to be more mature than we actually are. Actually, in this passage, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul was bringing attention to the church of Corinth, and he said, actually, you guys are pretending to be more spiritually mature than you actually are. You're pretending to be mature followers of God, mature believers, but here's what he said. He said, you're actually simply babes in Christ. I can only imagine, he said, you're, you're, you're asking for deep messages, but he said, you can't handle deep messages. I, Pastor, I need, I need some revelation. I need, I need some impartation. That's my super spiritual voice, by the way. I, I need something deep. I don't need this little softball across the plate. I need God's word. <laughs> Paul said, you're asking for something deep, but I keep giving you milk because you're a babe. And he said, here's how I prove it. He said, you're still gossiping. You still got these little contentions and these arguments and these quarrels and things that only immature believers do. Paul said, listen, it's time to grow up. I think about that phrase, I'm not that spiritual. I'm not that spiritual. And here's the thought that crosses my mind. What does that mean? Because I'm not that spiritual means different things to different people. Maybe you're in here and you're a believer. You ever had a conversation with an unbeliever, maybe trying to invite them to church or, or share something you write in Scripture, just tell them how good God is. A, no, 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 I'm not really that spiritual. What that person means is I don't, I don't believe in God. I'm not really a spiritual person. I'm not really into to, to the you know, spiritual stuff. They're saying I'm not that spiritual. For somebody else saying, I'm not that spiritual, here's what they may mean. They may mean, hey, I'm a Christian, I believe in God, I plan on going to heaven, but I'm not that spiritual. You know what I mean. <laughs> what they're trying to say is, I'm not like that person. You know, those super spiritual persons that every time you say something to you, they respond with the Bible verse or some churchy phrase. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. I know how God is. I ask how you are. Oh, let me tell you, I am too blessed to be stressed. Well, looking at your edges, you look pretty stressed. I don't know if that, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. It's, it's, it's been five months. I'm sorry. Okay, let's get back to the, <laughs> what? Guess who's back? Anyway, so what they're saying is, hey, I believe in God. I go to church and all that kind of stuff, but don't get me wrong. Like, I'm still going to go out on Friday night. I'm still going to turn out. I'm still going to give you a piece of my mind. I'm not that spiritual. The last group of people are the group of people that, you know, I'm just trying to offend everybody so I'm going to have fun tonight. I would probably say it's the majority of us in the room. And that are the people that if somebody said we were not that spiritual, we'd be offended. 
What do you mean I'm not that spiritual? I love God. I tithe. I serve on a dream team. I, I love the Lord. <laughs> what do you mean I'm not that spiritual? And those are the people that for us, we think we're more spiritual than we actually are. And haven't yet hit the reality that we're not as spiritual as we think we are. So I want to give you just, 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 just 12 points. 12 points is all I have for you today. It's going to be a very simple, short message. I'm joking. I have to set you up. You know, you start a lot, then you go low. Four points, four points. Just four quick thoughts about, man, what does it mean to be not that spiritual? For the person in that first category that says, I'm not that spiritual, meaning I'm not into the things that God. I don't really believe in God. I'm not a really churchy person. Write this down. Here's what that person is really saying. They're not saying, I'm not spiritual. What they're saying is, I'm dead. Here's the thing. For someone who doesn't believe in God, they don't believe in the things of God, they haven't surrendered to God, it's not that they're not spiritual, it's that they're dead. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 it says this, but God is so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were, look at this, spiritually Y'all been out of church for five months. You don't remember how to do this. Come on, yell this back at me. Spiritually dead. dead and doomed by our sins. He gave us back our lives again when he raised Christ from the dead. Only by his undeserved favor have we ever been saved. Hear me. When Jesus hung on the cross, shed his blood, said it is finished and gave up his spirit. He didn't do all of that to make bad people good. He did all of that to make dead people alive. Hear me. Before you or I were followers of Christ, we weren't people that were kind of off track, you know, had some issues, but I got into church and I got my life together. No, 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 no. The Bible says that you were dead in your transgressions and that God makes us alive. The thing is, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around this idea of being spiritually dead because our bodies are alive. My heart's beating, my mouth is moving, my breath is in my lungs. But here's the thing. We understand the idea of being brain dead. Come on now. We understand the concept of somebody being in a coma or on a respirator. Their heart is beating. There's oxygen in their lungs, but their brain has stopped operating. This is code red. They're in the ICU. They're being monitored 24 hours a day. There is a constant focus of, hey, there is a part of this body that is not functioning. We have to make sure we get it back to a place of functioning. We understand the idea of liver failure, where my heart works, my lungs work, my body works, but there's a vital organ that is not operating to optimal potential. Listen, if you can understand brain failure and liver failure, you can understand spiritual failure. What God is saying is you are dead on the inside. And here's the problem. When you're spiritually dead, you're constantly searching for something that makes you feel alive. I want to feel something. I want to feel something. So it's constantly this grasping. Somebody search, some people search for it in, in, in accolades and accomplishments. Maybe it's degrees or building wealth or influence or notoriety or whatever. Maybe other people, they may search for it in illicit relationships or, or narcotics or alcohol or, or serving other people and making sure that everybody else is taken care of. It's this constantly grasping for something that makes me feel alive. The real problem is that there's death on the inside of me. 
Here's the problem with anything that makes you feel alive other than God. At best, it's temporary. The first time you have that jolt of life, like, oh, I love this. But the second time you go back or you accomplish this or that or what, it doesn't, doesn't give you the same euphoria. It's not the same. You have to constantly up, up, and up, and up, and up the ante. One of the problems of being spiritually dead is you can't feel. So you don't feel when you do something that offends God. You don't feel guilt. You don't feel shame. You don't feel remorse until you do. And when you do, it comes in like a wave rushing. You don't even know where did this feeling come from. I think I'm depressed, but I'm not the type of person to be depressed. I'm just bummed out. I don't know where this is coming from. It's a wave of all the different things that are piling up on your soul. It, it, it's not good to be spiritually dead. Can we agree to that? It, it's, it's doubly not good to be spiritually dead and to be the pastor's son. That's just awkward. <laughs> It's triply not good to be spiritually dead, to be the pastor's son, and to be playing the drums. And you're dead. That was a lot of my life. I remember playing the drums at my dad's church. I remember being in church, and I would watch people. They'd have their hands lifted, and tears are streaming down their face, and I'd laugh at them secretly. They're so emotional. They're so extra. It doesn't take all of that. But the reality, there was a longing inside of me. Man, I wish I could feel something anything the way that they're feeling. The, the second group of people in this, uh, I'm not that spiritual, the people that, that, that they believe in God, but they have no intention of being extra. You know what I mean by being extra? It's just like, I don't want to be, you know, super spiritual. I'm not trying to be nobody's deacon or elder or nothing like that. I'm just trying to make it into heaven and mind my business. They would say, you know, I'm not that spiritual. Here's the second point. What they really mean is I'm not spiritual. I'm numb. I'm numb. I, I believe in God. The Holy Spirit is living inside of me, but its vital signs are dropping. The Holy Spirit's in me. This, this is not theologically correct, so don't send me any emails. And if you have any emails to send, send them to Damon. He'd love to answer. But, but this is just an analogy. It's as if the Holy Spirit is in me, but he's on life support. He's on a ventilator. He's coding. There's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. It says, don't cause the Holy Spirit sorrow by the way you live. Remember, he is the one who marks you to be present on that day when salvation from sin will be complete. I love this translation. It says this, stop being mean, <laughs> bad-tempered, angry. You know about the, yeah, that song? Remember the song in Sunday school? I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Clearly it's down in your heart because it's not up on your face. He said, why? <laughs> Joker, why so serious? So why so angry? He said, quarreling, harsh words. Watch this. And dislike of other people. I can't stand him. I don't mess with her. He said, should have no place. In the life of a believer. We don't even realize that, that when we're spiritually numb, our actions, our words, they spring sorrow. They offend God who dwells inside of us. You, you may be in this situation or may know people that have severe allergies, a peanut allergy or a shellfish allergy or whatever. Maybe there's, there's different degrees. You know, somebody will tell you that they have an allergy 
And then you'll see them popping peanuts, and you're just like, wait, what are you doing? It's like, I mean, I just swell up a little bit, and I'm all right. But then there's people that, I mean, if it's peanut oil, if they're any, they travel with an EpiPen because it's going to be serious. What if we can get a revelation that, that, that lying is to the Holy Spirit in us, like peanuts is to that person who travels with an EpiPen, that it actually brings deep pain and sorrow to the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. This is getting serious. I'm going to make you laugh real quick. I remember uh, when I was 16, I was at my dad's church, and I would finally fallen in love with Christ. And, and I had this encounter where I was just overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. I'll explain that in a few weeks. But, I mean, it was one of those, like, I mean, laying hands, falling over, speaking in other languages, goosebumps. It was my, I had never had such a sensational encounter in my life. That was Sunday. Somebody say Sunday. Fast forward to Wednesday, three days later, I was 16 years old. Y'all remember being 16? If you don't remember being 16, let me remind you what it's like to be 16. You know everything. There is nothing that you don't know. I'm telling you right now, I'm 33, and I know less now than I did back at 16. I knew it all at 16, but every year after that, I knew less and less to the point right now, I don't even know what my name is. My parents tell me it's Stephen, but I haven't seen a birth certificate, so we're just going with that. But I was 16, and I was having intense fellowship with my father. We were having an argument, <laughs> and I mean, I was just giving it to him. I was just telling him, yeah, I'm a man too, and I ain't got no job. I don't pay no bills. I've actually actually not contributed anything to the family in 16 years, but I'm just going back and forth, and I was right. And when I was done, I just stormed out of the room. Well, that's not actually quite true. I backed out of the room. I was, and that's the day that I realized my dad was filled with the Holy Spirit. Because I fully expected him to pick up a chair and throw him. And he didn't do anything. He didn't say anything. But remember, I had that radical encounter with the Holy Spirit on Sunday. Well, I walk out of the room, and as soon as I hit that doorway, I felt a tightness in my chest to the level that I thought I was having a heart attack. I never felt anything like it before in my life. I knew what it was, though. It was conviction from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said, you just sinned. You grieved me. And I said, God, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. You know what he said? He said, no. Now, remember, I'm a pastor's son, so I know all these Bible verses. I got all super spiritual. No, 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 no. The Bible that you wrote says if I confess my sin, you'll be faithful and just to forgive me of all unrighteousness. You have to forgive me. I said, no, I don't because you're not really repenting. I said, what do you mean? He said, if you were really repenting, you would go back and apologize to your father. I said, oh, no. I'm going to fast for the next 21 days. He said, I don't want your fast. Go back and apologize. I said, I'll be nice to my sister. Come on, you've been asking for that for a while. He stopped speaking. The conviction just stayed. Not until my dad's at the Baltimore campus. He's probably cracking up laughing right now. I went back in that room, y'all, and I mumbled out the weakest apology. You me. The second I did, that conviction lifted. Some of you can't remember the last time you felt convicted by the Holy Spirit. You can't remember the last time the Holy Spirit said, go back and apologize to your spouse. Not because you were wrong, but because your tone was wrong. You can't remember the last time the Holy Spirit said, go back into that store. There's somebody that I need you to pray for. Here's why. Because when you're spiritually numb, you lose feeling. You stop feeling when you've grieved the Holy Spirit. 
You, you, you know you're spiritually numb when you can open God's word and get nothing out of it. You can sit in God's presence and have no encounter with God. It's because you're numb. And when I'm spiritually numb, my relationship with God becomes a transaction. God, I did, so you need to. Well, I prayed, so now you need to bless. I tithed, so now this door needs to open. Well, I, I wasn't mean to that. It becomes this transactional instead of a relational connection. It's because I'm numb. The last category are those who think that they're more spiritual than they actually are. I think we're kind of all in that category. And this is the one for that. Write this down. I'm not spiritual. I'm blind. I actually can't really see what's going on around me. Paul said, here's the reason why you think you're so spiritual. He said, because you compare yourself by yourself. Here's one telltale sign of people that are super spiritual. You're the most godly person you know. You're the most passionate person about God. You love your word more than anybody else that you know. Remember that prophet that was complaining, said, God, everybody is worshiping Baal? And God said, shut up. Okay, no, Stephen said, shut up. But God said, be quiet. <laughs> he said, there's 3,000 that have not bowed. You're just extra. You're not the only person who still loves God. And Paul said, here's your problem. You're comparing yourself by yourself. So here's what us super spiritual people do. We compare ourselves to the numb people. And well, I'm more godly than the numb people, so I must be godly. And then the numb people compare themselves to the dead people. And they're like, well, I'm numb, but I'm not that dead. And then the dead people compare themselves to people who are more dead. And we make ourselves feel better by finding people that are worse. Hmm. Job did this. Remember Job? You ever read the book of Job? Let me help you out. If you've never read the book of Job, wait till you're having a really bad season in your life and read the book of Job. There's nothing about reading about somebody who's worse off than you that just encourages you. It's just like, you know, I thought this was bad. It's not that bad. At least I'm not this guy. Job, I mean, it was a train wreck. Job had disease. He lost all of his kids, all of his wealth, all of his property. And the only thing that God left was his wife that Job wished he took. <laughs> He's like, are you going to take everything and leave her? Come on now. I mean, just, just, just finish it off. But anyway, that's not very nice. Pray for me. I need help. But throughout the book of Job, Job is complaining. He's saying, God, I don't deserve this. I'm the most righteous person on earth. I'm the godliest person that I know. Th this is petty. But you ever been through some drama that you could think of some people who deserved it more than you? And you're like, God, if you're looking to mess up somebody's life, I got some suggestions for you. I know some people who have earned this, but I don't deserve. Job said, I don't deserve. He said, I'm the most godly person on earth. And watch this. God agreed with him. In Job chapter 1, God said, Job is blameless. There is none like him. He's the most godly on the earth. So Job wasn't even wrong. Here's the problem. A verse hadn't even been written, more or less, Job knew about. Remember the verse that says our best is as filthy rags? It doesn't matter being number one when you're number one of the bottom. Here it is, Job's comparing himself by other people, and he says, I don't deserve any of this. I'm a godly person because he forgot. Other people are not our comparison. Jesus Christ is our comparison. And when you're comparing yourself to Jesus, I don't care how godly you are, there's so much more godliness for us to go after. 
You know that you are in this super spiritual category when you care more about truth than you do about transformation. Well, actually, Job didn't complain for 38 verses because his friends got six verses. God got two verses. So Job only complained for 28 verses and 28 chapters and 12 verses. So, Pastor, you were actually wrong there. And the verse about filthy rags, it was written before Job because theologians believe that Job was written after Psalms. So uh, you need to fact check yourself. Like I said, send all emails to Damon. But we're more concerned. You, you get in these spiritual arguments, post-trib, pre-trib. I ain't planning on being here for no trip, so you can figure it all out. But I want to be, no, no, I want to be transformed by God. You, you, you know, you, you, you're, you're super spiritual or you're spiritually blind when there's areas of your life that have no evidence of the supernatural hand of God on you. That, that's the whole point of being blind. When it comes to God's word, boy, I can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with you every single verse, theology, let's do it. I have a revelation of God's word. But if you look at my marriage, if you look at my finances, the way that I raise my children, you, you'll see hard work, you'll see discipline, but you won't see God's favor. You won't see supernatural advancement. Why? Because I'm blind in that area. People who are spiritually blind, here, here, here's their relationship to the church. It's me and it's them. There's me and, and then there's the church. I used to go to that church, but, you know, they weren't preaching the word over there. I, I needed something that was deep. I needed, I needed to be fed. Oh, Okay. So, so where do you go to church now? Well, you know, I'm checking out. I'm in between. This is awkward up in here, boy. It's so quiet up in here. You hear a cricket fart. This is crazy. But anyway, <laughs> I'm in between churches. Oh, okay. Question for you. You ever heard a thumb say I'm in between hands? <laughs> you know, I used to be on the right hand, but they weren't feeding me on the right hand, so I'm moving over to the left. I'm in between. You ever heard a foot say I'm in between legs? Y'all ain't laughing. Y'all must be in between churches. <laughs> but here's the thing. God says as a believer, you are a part of the, of the body of Christ. It's not me and that church over there. I, bad English, good preaching, is the church. And he said, how is an ear going to look at an eye and say, I don't need you, and an arm look at the leg and say, I don't need you? We are interconnected, and we have life as being one together. Matter of fact, it goes on to say, there's some embarrassing parts of the body. And you know what we do? Oh, I know. We talk about them in the parking lot. No. It says we cover them, just like we clothe the parts of us that are not for public. He said, no, 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 no. It's not us and them. I am the body. Okay, pastor. I'm blind. I'm numb. And I'm dead. You have fully discouraged me. I don't know if that was your goal, but job well done. Here's what Job said in Job 42.3. He says this. He said, you ask, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? Job said, it's me. I was talking about things I knew nothing about. Things far too wonderful for me. If, if God is so good, if your God is so good, how can a good God let bad things happen to? I was talking about things 
I knew nothing about. Things far too, you guys know me, I have kind of a weird sense of humor. God was silent for all of Job's complaining. The whole pandemic, I mean the whole book of Job, he ain't saying nothing. (laughs) He just sat there. And then finally he says, and notice when he shows up in chapter 38, he doesn't say, oh, Job, I'm so sorry I fell asleep, but I'm here now. Oh, Job, forgive me. You didn't deserve to go through this. He said, who is this that questions my character? I love what God says. He says, stand up and show yourself like a man. He came for his manliness. And he just went. He said, Job, where were you when I hung the sun in the sky? He said, Job, if the hippopotamus was hungry, do you think I would ask you for food? Do you know where the origination of lightning is? I mean, he's just going through chapter after chapter. And in the middle of chapter, I believe it's 39, Job tries to go, yeah, yeah, but and God's like, I'm not finished yet. (laughs) And finally, God's like, so what do you have to say for yourself? That's what Job said in verse 4. He said, you said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. He said, I had only heard about you. That's the mantra of the spiritually blind. God, I heard a message about you. God, I read a verse about you. He said, I only heard about you, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. He said, I take back everything I said. And I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. You see, that's where I want to be. It doesn't matter what I think I know of God. Based on the fact that he's infinite, I haven't even scratched the surface of the goodness of who God is. You can play. We're going to land this play. Here's the last thing. Write this down. Write this down. So who is spiritual? I'm not this spirit. You convinced us, Pastor, that nobody's spiritual. You know, that's the whole point of a series, by the way. You got to set them up, and then on the next week, we'll talk about how to get, why do I want to be spiritual? How do I grow and become more? We'll we'll cover all of that. Don't worry about it. I don't want to leave you all the way hanging. What what, what does it mean to be spiritual? Here is Stephen Chandler's definition of spirituality. And if you disagree with him, like I said, email Damon. But here's my, just my definition. How, How do I know if I'm spiritual or not? Your spiritual maturity is indicated by your propensity to respond in a spirit-led manner to every encounter of life. How spiritual am I? It all depends on the frequency that you respond in a spirit-led manner. So for example, let me make it layman. For someone who's spiritually immature, for them to be led by the spirit, for them to be godly, It has to be 67 degrees outside, sunny but slightly overcast, bank account needs to be full, job needs to be secure, everybody around me needs to be loving me, and I love God. But let any of those be off a degree. Let the wrong person say, I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. Stop doing that. You don't got too much mind to be giving out. You keep on giving all these pieces around, you ain't got to have nothing left. How intense can it get and I still respond according to the Spirit of God? What things can blindside me in life and I don't completely lose it? God, how could you? But God, if you did, you're in control. 
You're, you're in an argument with your spouse. Your, your blood is boiling, but yet internally you're praying, Holy Spirit, I know I'm right. And I'm about to tell them I'm right. But God, give me the right tone. Now, what's your propensity to respond to the Spirit above your feelings? In John chapter 3, verse 8, it says, The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born by the Spirit. Some people have believed the lie of the enemy that being Spirit-led is boring. That, who, 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 I mean, if I live everything God wants me to do, I'll never have any fun. I'll always be apologizing. I won't have, you know, I don't want to be living life. That is a lie of the enemy. It's actually the exact opposite. John said, if you live a spirit-led life, it's an exciting life because you'll never be able to predict what's coming next. It says in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no has mind conceived what God has in store for those who love God. Actually, a spirit-led life is the most exciting life you could ever live. If your life is boring, if your life is predictable, chances are it's not spirit-led. Because when you live a spirit-led life, you find yourself running a business that you didn't even have a dream for. You find yourself in the company of leaders and influencers that you didn't even know how you got in the room. You find yourself impacting people around you in manners and ways that you didn't even think possible. You start looking at your life just stuttering. I don't, I don't, but I, I, I don't know how I got here. I'll tell you how you got here. The Spirit of God led you to what he always had for you. You never even realized that it was in you. Hey, y'all. My name's Stephen Chandler. I am the senior pastor of Destiny Church. And I am not that spiritual. But I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to go after God with all that I have. And I invite you to come with me. Can I pray for you? Father God, we, we're grateful that you are patient with our trifling selves. God, we repent. God, for being apathetic towards you. For being secure in our current state of spirituality, not realizing that there's so much more that you have for us. Right where you are with your eyes closed and your head bowed, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Holy Spirit, Come on, we're talking to God. Somebody say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Just give God a moment to make this time, to, to make this message personal to you. I want to speak particularly to some of you in this room and watching online that, that you never got past point number one. Because for the first time ever, you realize, man, I'm dead on the inside. Maybe you're like me and you grew up in church and you know how to do the church thing, but the reality is you never had the life of God inside of you. Or maybe you just have never seen yourself as a God person, a religious person, because you're not into rituals, not realizing it's not about rituals, it's about relationship. I'm telling you, I've been praying for you all week. That in this moment, you would allow God to bring life into you. It can't be found anywhere whether you consider yourself a Christian or you consider yourself far from God, if you say, I want the life of God in me, 
right where you are. Can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for trying to fill myself with everything but you. Thank you for dying on the cross, for giving your life so that I can be made alive. Today, I give you all of me. Be my Lord, be my Savior, and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, church, can you celebrate for every single person that just made the greatest decision ever? Thanks again for tuning into this week's message. If you want to learn more about our church, check us out at www.yourdestiny.church. Meet our leadership team, find a way to connect with our church, and partner with us through giving. You can also connect with us on social media by visiting our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Tune in next week for another message from our pastor, Stephen Chandler.